the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we have faith in its moving in action, the Lord has a soft spot in his heart for that. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Today, we pick up in our message titled, Painting a Picture in John chapter 12. This is part two. I wonder how many times you and I miss out on the great blessings of God. Simply because we do not believe, nor do we ask. Notice the leper said, which could have been Simon, if you're willing, you can make me clean. See, Simon believed. Let me ask you today, do you believe the promises of God? When you're reading a scripture and something sounds like a promise, that's pretty much a promise. Do you believe those promises? Or does doubt consume you when you're up against the wall with trials and hardships in your life? Understand, doubt can paralyze our faith. It can cripple our walk. It can disable our ability to embrace everything that God has desired to do inside of us. Do you understand that? It can cripple what God wants to do in you. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a desire. He has something that he wants you to do in your sphere of life. Because I'm not living in your sphere of life. I don't have your neighbors because they're your neighbors, not my neighbors. I don't ask you to come to my house and minister to my neighbors. But you should be ministering to your neighbors. You should be talking to the people that you work with. There is a sphere of life that you are in and God wants to use you in that. But doubt thinking, well, I don't know what I would say. What would I say? What happens if they have to ask me a question? I don't know the answer. And you disqualify yourself before the first question's even asked. You don't even let them know who you are, what you believe. It can cripple our walk. It can disable the ability to embrace what God desires to do in you. Know this. Without question, first of all, we have to know a couple things. Number one, God loves us. Do you understand God loves you? You are a walking demonstration of the love of God. God loves you. Number two, in the midst of God loving you, he also, he wants to do something in you. He wants to rid us of the things that paralyze us, like anxiety. That's why he tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, to cast all of your cares, to cast all of your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Now, that's kind of a violent word that he used in there. He says, to cast. And so many times, like, okay, let me, let me cast. You know, what does that even mean to you? He's like, okay, let me take my fears and my anxiety and the cares of my life that are so heavy upon my soul and let me cast him, let me put him over here. Let me, let me, let me put them. No, no, it's like to cast means to hurl. 
And it's like, you get that thing out of here. It's just like, what are you doing? It's like someone says, hey, do you want a piece of pizza? Yeah, it just came out of the 500 degree oven. Whoa! You know, it's like, I can't, don't put it in my hand. You know, Give me something to hold it with. Put it on a plate. Something. It's like, that's what it means. It's to hurl, it's to cast, it's to say, Lord, these things are burdening my soul. This fear has come upon me and I don't know how to move forward. I don't know what to do. If I ask the Lord, if I just say, Lord, use me in this world, use me in LA, it scares the daylights out of me. Second Timothy 2, uh, 1.7 says this, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. That's what God has given to us. So if you're fearful and afraid, well, what would happen if I say, Lord, use me? Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. He'll use you. But you say, but I don't know how. And you, no, 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 no. Don't worry about how it's going to work out six months from now. What about today? What about today? How could he use you today? How could you encourage one person when you go eat, when you sit down, just telling the, the waiter, the waitress, you, you just say, hey, you know, I just want you to know there's a God in heaven that loves you. I mean, it's like you just start off little and just allow for certain opportunities that come up. I bet you for a true believer, those of you that are true believers here today, if someone come up to you at your work and they said to you on Monday, they said, hey, um, I hear that you're a Christian. Someone told me you were a Christian. Man, my life is falling apart. I don't know what I'm, I don't know what to do. It's like I just feel empty inside. I mean, is, is there a God out there? Is there something? Is this real? You would probably like, oh my goodness, you know, the garage door came open, drive the car in, okay? You, you would probably just go and you would start sharing with them because they opened the conversation for you. See, so what we need to do, since most people don't do that, is we need to help open the conversation. And that's where you can say things like, hey, just want you to know how much God loves you today. You know, just little things. You start dropping these little hints around. You just start making it more open. That's when the, when the world falls apart with one of your neighbors or, you know, with a coworker. That's when they do come up to you because they know you've made it obvious I'm a believer. Today's the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, I don't know. I don't think about that, man. I just give it all to the Lord. You know, it's like just these little comments, but it helps Open the door. It primes the pump, you could say. Yes, that's why Jesus told us. He says here to us, we need to seek him. Because if we want the rest of God, because he promised us rest. He promised us peace inside. But if you have a burdened heart, you'll never have the rest and the peace of God until you ask for the rest in the peace of God. I like the simplicity of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. He says, Ask, shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it'll be open for you. But see, it's really in the plural sense because he, he defines it in the next verse, in verse 8, because he says, For everyone who asks, plural, everyone who seeks, plural, they will be given to him. It'll be open to him if you keep knocking. So it's in a plural sense. So we don't just go to the Lord once. Yes, Lord, feed all the children of the world. Okay, see ya. You know, it's like, uh, you know, 
Lord, my credit card bills are out of control. I don't know what to do. Okay, see ya. You know, no, it's like every day, Lord, what can I do? Lord, help me discipline me so I don't keep adding to the credit card bills. Lord, let me just cut that thing up. Now, how am I going to attack this thing? How can I, you know, conserve in other areas? How can I dump the $5 coffee every, you know, three times a day and start putting that towards this? And Lord, what can I do? And when you are seeking him and seek it, then he starts giving you the way to get out of the mess. It's continuing to seek him. Jesus spoke those words again on the Sermon on the Mount. What if Simon was the one, the leper that was healed in Matthew 8? That means he just heard what Jesus said in chapter 7. So then he asked him in chapter 8. Well, you said to keep asking, seeking. Well, Lord, I know you could heal me. Why don't you heal me? And Jesus said, okay. See, the Lord has a very soft heart when he sees faith in action. If we have faith and it's moving in action, the Lord has a soft spot in his heart for that. And though there are many times that God has a different plan than what we have, you know, we could say, well, I have a physical ailment here and I need a healing. You know, maybe God's not going to heal you. Maybe he's not going to deliver you out of a certain situation because we have to look at the bigger picture here. Because that's what God looks at. Sometimes we are called to walk down the path of pain and God isn't going to take us off that path. Why? Because he wants to show his power through you in the pain. That's why he didn't heal the apostle Paul. He says, man, I've got this thorn in my flesh. Oh, it's just killing me, Lord. I can't take it anymore. I'm going to check out. And that's why he said, no, Paul, you're not checking out. My power The power of the almighty God is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. No, I'm going to keep you on the path of pain because I'm going to use you to minister to every other person that's on that same path. But I'm going to give you my strength and you'll never see it any other way. So trust me in this. This is my will for you. There's other times that we cry out, oh, Lord, I want to win the lottery. I want to do this. Do you think the Lord is going to give us something that he knows is going to destroy us? How many times have we given too much to kids and they become spoiled little brats? And people, the parents just keep giving and giving and they don't appreciate anything. So, and we've seen it. Like I've seen it. There was where I was working when I first got married. It's like his kids, he just gave them everything and they just thrashed everything. Didn't take care of the cars. He bought them new cars, motorcycles, all the, they just thrashed, thrashed. They were just professional thrashers. They didn't take care of anything. You know, and it's just like, but when you get something and you worked hard for it, you take care of it and you, you take care of it. But see, God knows if I give you too much, man, I'd like to bless you, but you know what? You're going to walk away from me. I know you, you know, you'll be down at Tahiti catching the surf, man. It's like, you're not going to be in church. So it's like, I'd love to bless you more, but I don't think I can because I know you. See, and we all have that wicked side in us, that, that heart that's just, you know, more, more. How much do I need? Just a little bit more. And God's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. But this should all teach us. Be good stewards of what you have, and God will give you more. Because I can tell you this, God does want to bless us. But how sad it would be in our own lives if we didn't ask for the very things that he wanted to give to us. Or maybe there's other times that we don't have because we're filled with wrong motives. 
you know, we can be asking God for things, but the motives are all wrong. Like you could say, Lord, I need $10 million. Lord, please just bless me with $10 million. Well, why do you want the $10 million? I want to buy the company that I work for. Why? So I can fire my boss. He's such a jerk. I just want to walk in, buy it, and say, first thing I do as owner of the company is you are fired. Okay. God's like, uh, wrong motive. Okay. Well, the apostle James gives us some much needed insight into the prayer that will receive nothing in return. Okay. So he goes, don't do these things because of this. So James chapter four, verse two says, you do not have because you do not ask. So first of all, you might not have because you're just simply not asking. Then he says, well, you ask and you do not have because you ask with wrong motives that you could spend it upon your own lusts. So there's a couple things there. Sometimes you don't have because you simply don't ask. And other times you don't have because you know what? You're just asking the wrong thing. And you say, I've been praying about this for 20 years. Well, God answered your prayer 20 years ago. It was no then and it's still no today. So don't say that God didn't answer your prayer. He answered it 20 years ago. Okay. Anyway, moving on, getting back to our text though. Look at the picture that we have here within us. We have Simon, the former leper on one side of Jesus. We have Lazarus, the man who came back from the dead on the other side of Jesus. One was defiled and destined to die a slow, miserable death with leprosy, while the other had already died, was dead for four days, but has risen again. Yet now they both sit in a reclined position, having sweet fellowship with the Lord. Could you imagine these two guys are just talking like, wow. I mean, what a picture that is in itself. And then, you know, but both of them have no clue That Jesus that they're laughing with and talking with is going to be hanging on a cross dead, beaten and bludgeoned within just a few short days. They don't realize it. They have no clue. And with that thought, this picture starts to become crystal clear. Now Mary, the sister of Lazarus, comes into the room. She doesn't come in banging a gong. I have arrived. She just quietly walks in. Everyone's still talking. No one's really paying any attention to her. But she's holding a pound of pure nard. This was a very expensive perfume. Verse 5 tells us that it was worth 300 denarii. That was approximately 11 months wages. It had a worth in today's wages of some $50,000 plus. This was a family treasure with great value both monetarily but also sentimentally. It was probably handed down to Mary from her mother. Yet Mary breaks the seal as a beautiful fragrance must have just consumed the entire household instantly. It must have captivated everyone's attention. Everyone's talking, whoa, what the heck? What is that? According to Matthew and Mark's gospel, Mary started by pouring the whole jar out anointing Jesus from his head as it ran down his shoulders all the way down to his feet. And now Mary falls at the feet of Jesus once again, a sign of worship and surrender. It was an act of great love and devotion. 
Again, every time we read of Mary, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, she sat at the feet of Jesus while her sister Martha was busy in the kitchen. Last time we saw Mary in John 11 fall to the feet of Jesus when Jesus first arrived at the grave of her brother's death. And now once again, she falls to the feet of Jesus in total adoration and praise. Yes, the first time Mary sat at Jesus' feet, it was just a glean from every word that was proceeding out of his mouth. The second time she fell at Jesus' feet was in total despair, grieving the death of her her only brother Lazarus, whom Jesus ended up raising from the dead. And now, for the third time, she once again sits at the feet of Jesus as she offers this costly gift, a gift that costs her the most valuable and precious thing that she owned. This was her one thing that she had that had great value. Know this, that which counts is always that which costs. If it doesn't cost you anything, then it doesn't count for anything. King David understood this cost. Do you remember at the end of his life, he, he sent out to have a census? This was a great sin before God. Because one of the things that the Israelites at the beginning of his kingdom, they were always the one that was the least. They were, he was, they were always the ones that just, they, they were not the favored ones by any stretch of the imagination. And God always fought for them and fought for them where throughout his whole life, they built up this enormous army and they became a military power. They were a superpower of their time, but they didn't start out that way. They were the weakest and the least at the beginning, but now they turned into a superpower. So David wanted to number all of his armed men and there was over a million men. And as soon as he got done doing it, because his main commander was like, Joab, don't do this. You don't want to do this. We just need to lean on the Lord. And it's like, no, he did it anyway. And so God says, I'm going to go through and I'm going to cost. And he's just going to curse because of this great sin of David. So the angel of death was going through and 70,000 men had died because of this great sin of David. And he finally crows out to the Lord. Oh, God, don't kill anymore. It's all my fault. I shouldn't have done this. I've sinned before you. Oh, God, have mercy on me. So God says, well, then make an act, make a sacrifice sin. And so he goes to this man named Ornan, who happened to own Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, as you know, is where Abraham took his son Isaac to offer him up to the Lord, which the Lord stopped him, of course. But it's like this ended up becoming the Temple Mount. This became the place where his son Solomon built the first temple of God. So he goes to Ornan and he says, man, Oh my goodness, I need to buy this land. Well, Ornan, seeing the angel of death, was there with his sons and he's shaking in his booty and he's just like, oh my goodness. He's like, David, you can have the land. You can have the the oxen to offer. You can have the wood to build the altar. I just give it to you. You're the king. Just take it all. You can have it. He was a giving man. But this is what David said to him in 1 Chronicles 21, 24. He says, but King David said to Ornan, no. But I will surely buy it for you for the full price. I don't want any deal. I want the full sticker price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. 
If it doesn't cost me something, I don't want it. No, I'm going to pay you every penny. I'm going to give you top dollar. Because I'm not going to take something that's yours and try to offer it for the Lord. I want it to cost me. Let me ask you today. Have the gifts that you've offered to the Lord, have they really cost you something? Or could they be considered leftovers? Gifts of your time. Well, I can't really serve in the church. I don't really have time. I, you know, I've got other things to do. You know, it's like, you know, if I have some time, occasionally I might do something for the... You just give the Lord your leftover time. I think about how faithful like our parking lot guys are. Man, they come out. They work that parking lot all three services. Man, they're the first here in the morning. I think about how they come out when the women have their studies on Tuesday nights and those men will show up for the women's study and just, you know, let the women come in. It's dark at night and what have you, and yet they're there for those ladies and coming and going. I think about our security stuff. I think about the people that run the camera, the ladies, the men that run the cameras, and all of these things. It's like they give of time. I think about every single person is in the children's ministry teaching your children right now. We ask them to give up two services on Sunday. We want you to come and we want you to sit in one service and hear the word of God and we want you to serve the next service there. So they give up not just one service but two services every Sunday. And they say, look, we do this. But it's like, they don't do it out of leftovers. They do it ever like, Lord, this is what we want to do. This is the gift that we give to you. What about sharing the truth of God's word? Do you ever share your faith? Well, when it's convenient, when it's, you know, I have nothing else to do. If I'm sitting here anyway, I'm standing in line, okay, I might talk to someone. But what if it's when you're in the midst of doing something? What about when the Lord touches your heart and you're, you're going somewhere? Would you be willing to stop and offer that time to the Lord? What about your gifts of finances? Do you give your leftovers? Do you give just, oh, well, whatever, throwing, you know, or do you give the first fruits to the Lord? Well, not only did Mary offer her most treasured and most valuable keepsake, Now she wipes the excess off of Jesus' feet with her hair. The Bible likens a woman's hair to her glory. And you know, you ladies, you know this. I mean, your hair, I mean, that's that's a big deal. I mean, it's like you color it, you do this, you style it. I just remember meeting my wife. I had to get to like the eighth or ninth date before I seemed to before I saw the same hairstyle twice. I'm thinking like every time I showed up, like, who are you? Oh, you're the girl. Okay, never mind. <laughs> you know, it's like I mean, just completely different. Like, boom, it's this, it's that, and this. You know, my wife, uh, she was going to cosmetology school, which she's a licensed cosmetologist, and and so I just I just remember she was always doing something. But I mean, it's what attracted me to my wife. I mean, the woman's hair is her glory, and this woman, not only she give her most valuable possession, this, this, this perfume, this, this, this antique, this, this thing that had great value, 50,000 plus dollars worth, but now she's on her hands and her feet and she's just on her knees and she's pulled her hair down and she's wiping his feet with her hair. What a picture we have. What a picture this must have been. There was no ringing of the bells. There was no calling attention to what was taking place. Mary didn't walk in, excuse me, excuse me. It's all going down right now. Okay, he'll start, 
here we go. All right. You know, it's like I could just see, you know, Jesus talking. You got Lazarus there. You know, you, you know, he just, you know, man, what was it like when you were dead for those four days? I don't know. It's kind of like I was taking a nap and then boom, I was awake again. You know, it's like whatever. And then, of course, man, what was it like when your skin was falling off your bones, Simon, and it's just rotting off and you look down and your skin's like the newborn baby. Oh, it was great. And they're all talking. The disciples are in there. Mary just comes in, just all silent. No one's even given her the time of day. She pops off the lid. The smell just fills the room as she just starts. And I can see people still talking. What's going on? And she just pours it all over his body. Wow. Mary, who's mentioned three times in the Bible, has a life filled with lessons that we can learn from. For she's always sitting at Jesus' feet. Look, there's all kinds of Marys in the Bible. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary Magdalene, the former prostitute. There's Mary, the mother of James. I mean, there's all kinds of Marys. Who's not named Mary? You know, back in that day, hi, Mary? Yeah, okay, you got a 50-50 chance, you know. So, you know, everyone's Mary back there. But this Mary, Mary that has the sister Martha, that has the brother Lazarus, only mentioned three times. And all three times, she's at the feet of Jesus. She's either listening or she's grieving, or she's worshiping. I wonder how long she was contemplating doing this. For we also contemplate things, yet many times what we contemplate is what Jesus can do for us, not what we can do for him. That's all the time we have for today's message, but please continue to join us this week as we go through the Gospel of John in chapters 12 and 13. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA one word, that's Core Church LA to 77977. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.